This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome to the Knowledge at Wharton Leading Diversity at Work podcast. My name is Stephanie Creary, and I'm Assistant Professor of Management at the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. I'm absolutely delighted today to have our special guest, Carla Grant Pickens, who is currently Global Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at IBM. Carla is no stranger to IBM. She is a 21-year veteran of the company and is certainly doing some great work uh, in her time in this role. And we're so happy, Carla, to have you here today and to talk more about what IBM has been up to lately. For so long, for more than 120 years, IBM has been an innovative thought leader in promoting equal opportunity and diversity, so much so that so many companies have uh, adopted strategies and said we're following the IBM way. Uh, So to date, IBM has instituted a variety of initiatives to address matters such as educational inequality, which is a root cause of low representation of black individuals in tech. And so IBM has been so devoted to thinking about the pipeline and future workforce and what role the company has in society to make sure that they have the talent they need to be successful, not just today, but in the future. Um, but certainly, uh, it wouldn't. It goes without saying that IBM has been engaging in a lot of activities, investing a lot of time, energy, and financial resources, um, certainly since June 2020, under the leadership of CEO Arvind Krishna. Um, IBM sounded a call to action on racial justice reform and proposed a partnership with U.S. Congress in pursuing racial justice and equity in the areas of police reform, responsible use of technology, and expanding economic opportunities for communities of color. And I was delighted that very recently IBM announced that by the end of 2020, the company will invest $100 million in the form of guest lectures, curriculum, digital badges, software and faculty training in more than two dozen historically black colleges and universities in the United States. Um, and so, Carla, welcome to the podcast um, I've certainly keyed up our listeners to give them a sense of, of all that you've been doing. But can you just start out by saying, what does this investment mean for IBM, for communities of color, for society? I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so so thank you so much, Stephanie, to be able to talk with you and uh, the viewers of this uh, podcast. And um, we are really excited about what this moment is bringing to IBM Um, In particular, as you stated, this most recent um, uh, release of information around what we're doing with the HBCUs and the initiatives that we are going to be deploying is so important to IBM and who we are. And look, we are no stranger to the HBCUs. We have recruited from them and have worked with them. So we have a longstanding relationship. But after we gave careful thought with Arvind, our CEO, the Black executive leadership, IBM leadership, we decided that this commitment had to look different. It had to be bigger. It had to be stronger. And as you stated, this is a game changer in the sense that we want to be able to build the skills now and for the future in these universities. What this um, partnership looks like is it is a commitment in two areas. One area is around skills, those hot skills for the jobs that are in tech that 
many companies are looking for mm -hmm. today. We are always plentiful across the tech industry and having lots of jobs available. So to be able to have the right skills and technology are important to be able to compete. And so our Skills Academy will provide that opportunity for students at the HBCUs to access, access that catalog, to attain certifications and key skills that could be used at any company or in many jobs and organizations, but to also be able to um, compete in a better way and learn additional skills, not just the technical skills, soft skills, get certification in design thinking, critical thinking, uh, and the like. The other aspect of this partnership is that we also partner with the university to look at curriculum, mm -hmm. to really think about how they can update their cur curriculum to include some of the cutting edge technology that's being deployed today. We also do something what we would normally call T3, which is train the trainer. This is actually TTI, train the instructor. So we also work with our leaders who will volunteer time to actually train the instructors on how to deliver this new content around new technology uh, via their lectures and via uh, research projects and the like. The other aspect of this uh, investment and initiative is our quantum um, innovation partnership. I am really excited about this because these are the skills that often don't go to historically black um, schools and universities. It doesn't get the um, attention that it deserves um, from uh, the perspective of other diverse schools. They usually go to larger schools um, who have larger endowments. And so this is a real opportunity where we feel that this talent really needs the skills for the future. Quantum is something that um, we decided that we would start with Howard University. We have several other schools that will also per participate. Um, mm -hmm. And the goal is to be able to do research in quantum, to be able to be able to do that analysis and research, as well as really be able to develop all of the analytic skills, stats, and to be able to gain insights and make recommendations around various industries. So you could select projects for which you really want to get deep into AI and how you're going to use AI to solve today's problems. This is of real particular interest to our students because they're really interested in solving the world's problems. This is an important aspect of how technology can be good tech and how you can use it in academe and students can really thrive with solving real problems for which businesses solve for their clients Absolutely. and to be able to equip them and ready them to be able to reuse those skills in the workplace. So we're excited about it and we've gotten started and um, <laughs> we'll continue to, to share updates about this as we uh, move along in our journey with the universities. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think one thing that's really important to amplify is that you all were you, you all were working with HBCUs prior to the increased racial consciousness of increased consciousness of race and racism in the U.S. and around the world. So you were able to look at what you were already doing and uh, retool that, continue to develop it, invest uh, much more um, deliberately and on a grander scale, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we want to make sure we invest as well in a way in which this is going to be 
uh, able to provide internships and opportunity for recruitment and uh, and jobs. And so that's really the ultimate goal. And we want our partners to be involved in this work with us. And so we have another program called PTEC. And PTEC is um, a, a non-traditional four-year degree type of role where you, again, can, there's so many technical skills you can mm -hmm. gain, whereas, you know, skills is your currency, where you can really build skills. You don't need a traditional four-year degree. You can have an associate's degree, or again, you can get certifications and enter the workforce if you have a different path and you have real skills and experience that you can offer. And so through PTEC, we offer a program where we want to enter into the high school level. Oh, yeah. So the way that the framework um, of PTEC works is we actually work with schools starting in ninth grade. We bring a cohort of students in. We provide IBM mentors, and then they actually go through the skills that are required for tech. They can work, work on our skills academy certifications, but the great part about this program is that it works with the state, the Board of Education, and the school system. We also bring in a partner within the community college landscape to also offer at the same time, while these students are getting their high school diploma, they are also getting college experience because they're um, taking university classes and they're building their skills certifications, which is often called badges. The goal of the program is that after they graduate, they complete their AA in partnership with a, a, a high school, um, that state and the Board of Education with that state, and then be able to provide some of our socioeconomic disadvantaged communities with the opportunity to get an AA. It piques the interest early at ninth grade. We follow them through mentorship. They intern with us during their junior years of high school. They graduate, they go and complete the AA. And they also have the opportunity to come and apprentice with us and to join us. We have also opened this up to what we call open PTEC, where any school can implement this model and any business partner or organization can take our toolkit for open PTEC, use all of our skills in our skills academy, sign their programs up, and then do, do tracks for healthcare. You can do tracks for hospitality management. You could do tracks for marketing, you could do tracks for advertising, you could do it for any area uh, for which your industry um, may be focused or your organization may be focused. Again, building skills and pipeline. The goal is that we're ready in the workforce through PTEC, and we're mm -hmm. really going to offer um, in our commitment to PTEC, we're gonna double up our schools. So we actually have over 200 schools globally, 150,000 students wow. actively and going through and have graduated from the program. And then we're going to ensure we scale it across the remaining U.S. states and D.C. We're excited about that. And we want to double the number of schools in the U.S. And so we're looking for partners to do that with us and um, business partners. And we have many of our clients and customers. And we're excited about this. We think this is a major game changer for building skills and changing the lives of so many who normally aren't able to compete and have the opportunity to compete in a, in a real way in tech and in any industry. So we are hoping this can change the way everyone looks at diversity in a different way, being more inclusive, but also changing the fabric of how we're showing up around the world. Yeah, I think it's a great answer to, you know, so many, we've heard recently, so many leaders have uh, either willingly or inadvertently said that the reason why we lack diversity in many corporate organizations today is because 
the the pool is missing. There isn't a pool or we can't find them. And I think as we think about what the approach that IBM is taking based on what you've shared with us today, it's a you create the opportunities for people. If you right. invest as a as business leader, as a corporation in talent, then that's your pool. So saying absolving yourself of the responsibility by saying we can't find any um, just perpetuates the notion that it's not your job. And I think what IBM has done or what IBM is trying to do is, is step out in front saying it is our job. We need the talent. So we will make sure that we put in structures and programs and initiatives to make sure that we have the workforce that we need to be innovative and to be on top um, for decades to come. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, we we feel that you have to create different ways in which to get to the talent, you know, mm -hmm. probably many traditional ways in which where you were going for talent. And when you start to feel like, wow, I can't, you know, access the talent I want, you may need to look at where you're going or yeah. what, what what are the programs that you've implemented and why they failed. Right. And so we're always learning and fine tuning on where we're recruiting how we're retaining, mm -hmm. how we're developing our talent. Are we promoting diverse talent? And that's something that organizations have to spend more time thinking about, like what are your outcomes and the goals you're trying to achieve mm -hmm. to be more inclusive? Yeah. And are you showing up with the right inclusive behaviors to make that happen? Are you setting the right goals? And when those, when those actions you have don't work, figure out why and go back and learn and, and co-create, right? Yes. With your communities to say, I am having this problem and I need your help and ideas. We know, Stephanie, the talent is out there. We know that. We know many people who are interested in this mm -hmm. in these jobs. Sometimes you have to go where those, those communities are concentrated. Mm -hmm. There has to be demand in the areas and jobs in the areas for where talents concentrated this diverse, and you just got to really be thoughtful and think out the box more innovatively about how you're going to develop and groom and retain your talent. I think if you, if you bring those things together, you will find more success in the goals for attaining, attaining more diverse pipelines and more diverse talent in your organization. So we've certainly um, so far been having a rich conversations about historically black colleges and universities. And certainly yes. that speaks to a huge investment that, you know, IBM as a U.S. headquartered company has in the country in which it's headquartered. But I'm I'm curious to understand as you've been pushing forward more heavily uh, this summer and now into the fall on issues of racial justice and creating equity, how is IBM encouraging dialogue and engagement from IBMers outside of North America? Yeah, so this has been a really important aspect of how, you know, this whole moment with the, the, the death of uh, George Floyd and many, many others in the Black community have been experiencing became a really human moment. You know, we were all really devastated to hear and to witness what happened to George Floyd. And you know, the company has um, really strong rooted values in diversity. We have been a pioneer in this area and we wanted to show up in a way in which our brand was going to um, really help leverage a real change within IBM and our voice would be heard on what is the right thing to do outside of IBM. Mm -hmm. And so the way in which we approached this was first our leader, our, our CEO, he communicated with all IBMers immediately. He expressed his message 
um, to all IBMers globally. Um, and he expressed how we were going to show up with his letter to Congress, focusing in on key initiatives. Um, it was received so well because many people believe that this is only a U.S. issue of race. And what we found was we saw unravel all of us around the world in a week that many people really could relate to the issues in the states. Our employees responded in a great way. One is the pledge, our Embrace pledge was mm -hmm. created organically. To be able to pledge our, that we're gonna spend more time to understand each other, that we're going to be more aware. We were gonna do the work around being more inclusive. We were gonna be supportive. We were gonna provide a safe environment for people to work. We were gonna show up in a way in which we are going to um, also be able to lend our talents and be able to use um, the gifts that we have to really change the world and the way some things are happening around the world. We had many different parts of our organization that responded with uh, creating more multicultural um, employee resource groups is what mm -hmm. many companies call them. We call them our business resource groups. So these are the affinity groups in most companies. They began to find a need to create a place and a space for these groups to meet and mm -hmm. to be able to be heard. Um, we had many to tell us that they would like to engage in the conversation through more training mm -hmm. that would be localized to address the issues in which we're having across different geographic regions. And that was great feedback. Um, we also had this really amazing, a couple of organic things that happen around our IBM voices. This was an opportunity, it started with Black IBMers sharing their experience at IBM and, and what it's like outside of IBM and how sometimes you don't bring your authentic self to work. You cover who you are. You don't really share and express what you're feeling about um, your situation and your personal life and how that may show up in your work life. And that really helped all of our IBMs understand the Black experience. This ended up working around having many people to share their stories and their voices, allies sharing their stories and vo voices. And we began to do um, what we called our Embrace Race mm -hmm. Diversity Sessions. These were sessions where our leaders jumped in right away and around the world, they began to host calls with their leadership teams. And then our leaders began to host calls with their teams. And then we also had our business resource groups to host sessions with their teams. We started getting the, the, the Latinx community. They, they um, changed the pledge and put it in Spanish. Mm -hmm. We had the Asian and the LGBT plus community and veterans community saying that they stand with the black community. So this became a global experience of support with IBMers. And that's the way that we showed up as a, as a company. So I'm gonna read the plus yes. um, as I found it on IBM's website, um, just for those who are, are listening in. Um, so it's, I pledge not to remain silent. I pledge to better understand the black experience. I pledge to fully embrace race and ethnicity with empathy. I pledge to demonstrate equality through action. I pledge to create safe spaces to speak. I pledge to be an upstander in every environment. I pledge to become an ally. Such powerful words 
there. And certainly it's wonderful to know that it's gaining traction, that they're not just words, that there are actions that individual employees are taking. We've been talking so much about what the company is doing, but hearing the stories of what IBMers themselves are taking personal responsibility for, I think is certainly inspiring and will continue to inspire others as well. I want to talk a little bit about um, what I've heard you refer to in, in, in the past as IBM's social justice agenda. Yes. Can you talk yeah. more about that? Where did it come from and, and what's in, what's involved in this agenda? Yeah, so, you know, many employees said, many companies, and in, in, in we can do a pledge, but mm -hmm. if there is no action behind it, mm -hmm. and if we don't um, have real outcomes as a result of this moment, the pledge absolutely means nothing. Any wow. pledge means nothing if there's no action and outcome. And we took that really seriously. And we co-created with the Black community, as well as our Black Exec Leadership Council and our SVP champion uh, for that community around what we call our social justice agenda. And that was created organically with having a town hall with our Black community. And we listened. We heard what they wanted to see uh, to happen differently in IBM and how they wanted IBM to show up outside of IBM. Mm -hmm. And with that, we created four pillars because there were themes that came out of that. It was social justice policy and advocacy. The second area was around leading in good technology. The third was around creating economic opportunity. And the fourth was around representation and transparency and building inclusive culture. Mm -hmm. And so we took it really seriously. And what we did was we we um, actually took all of the, the, the details we got. We got lots of comments um, via uh, uh, the, the town hall and we crowdsourced all that data. And we came up with specific actions we were going to take in each pillar. And each pillar has about three to five actions. Mm -hmm. And so for the social justice aspect, this was more around what can we do with the brand and the voice? And what can IBMers do? Because everybody was saying, well, how can I help? What can we do? Yeah. We want to be part of, we want to co-create. We want to be empowered to help IBM solve this problem. We don't want just leadership solving the problem. Right. So we had to show up differently, right? We had to listen. And so we did that. And so, so far out of this social justice policy advocacy, um, we put our brand and we had leaders to um, pin letters to the states that, that don't have anti-hate crime legislation. And we were able to use our senior state executive for Georgia. And so Georgia has actually um, implemented hate crime legislation. Um, and we have three states to go. Mm -hmm. We began to do what we call virtual sessions with members of Congress and members um, of the Senate. Wow. To really take them through Arvin's agenda around um, police reform, around good tech, and around mm -hmm. building skills and jobs for the pi in the pipeline for the future. So we have been um, meeting with them and asking them how we can help and sharing our agenda and um, other things that we could do together to help push uh, change through legislation. We also did a writing campaign for our employees where they could write their Congress or, or um, Senate uh, representatives. And we set up um, an automated form letter for which they could write a letter and 
really reinforce, you know, what the company um, or their own personal views of what they think needs to happen in this moment. And we provided that. And we are just going to continue to stay engaged through different social justice organizations. We're partnering um, with many of them, not only through donating to them, but also how can we help your organization be more successful? And so we're doing that. And the leading good tech, we are doing some amazing things around this. And this is this is like where innovation hits the road in a tech company. So words matter, right? Language matters. We had our team to organically come together and say, we want to make sure that our software, that our training, that our, um, our guides and our instructional books don't have terms that, that could be racist and that can offend. We want to make sure they are inclusive. And we're also going to use research projects um, through our research team. And then the other thing is we did a call for code mm -hmm. um, to actually create uh, solutions that will help, you know, stem racism. Mm -hmm. We're about to make an announcement in a few weeks around some of these applications that we're going to make available to the public that can help, um, you know, different organizations to address bias. We're excited about that and we're going to be sharing more. I talked about the creating economic opportunity areas and then lastly around representation and transparency. You know, it really is all about um, really moving the needle. Your yeah. organizations um, have to have goals and have to have outcomes of how you're going to achieve representation and how you're going to achieve diversity and the way that our country looks, the way that the world looks in any country. So we are doing that work there in addition to our training and our um, enablement that we're doing with our leaders that we're launching, working with academe, um, yourself and others to really help us in this moment create that inclusive culture, but also that space where people can feel comfortable learning and growing together and doing the work together. Absolutely. I want to come back to responsible technology. Yes. It certainly made the headlines in many of the major news outlets. Yes. Now, IBM pulled its facial recognition technology. Can you provide some more context around that and just some details to help us all understand how that really is part of a social justice agenda and really does speak to you know, IBM's gifts, but also IBM had this gift that could actually create, had the potential to create harm. So can you give us a little bit more information about that? Yeah, you know, for a few years, there has been a lot of feedback in this space around facial recognition software and its use. And it, it was something that's part of our uh, product portfolio in many companies. And our employees have expressed, and allies, that we should not sell this software just because of the way in which it can be used um, in a biased way. And so that was something that Arvin did right away. He said that we were pulling that down for use. We are not going to offer that software for sale anymore. And so it was important for us in this moment um, that we not be in that space. And many other companies follow. One thing that we did do a few years back, and I'm proud of because I sit on is we have an AI ethics board because we truly believe that technology must have integrity, it must have values, it must have principles and guidelines. And this isn't a free for all. Mm -hmm. So our AI ethics board looks at solutions that are going to go to clients that include technology around mm -hmm. AI to ensure its use is done properly. Um, and that's for our clients' um, software, as well as for anything that we're developing within. 
It also brings this AI ethics board is diverse. It brings more voices to the table mm-hmm. that can give a point of view. Okay, what does this technology do? Well, have we thought about this or this impact? So that has lawyers on it. It has mm-hmm. people from different groups, different levels of the company, different age groups, and different diverse groups. And so we're able to, again, make it better, but also that the voices are heard on how this could impact and be used in bias against me or someone like me or against anyone um, across diverse groups and communities. So that's what I love about um, what we're doing in this moment. Yeah, what I love um, of what you said was one thing that I think is going to stay with me is this is not 100% science, but as a scientist, as a social scientist, I know (laughs) firsthand (laughs) that no science is 100%. And when we put ideas and products out there into the universe, we as creators, as knowledge producers, as inventors, as innovators, really hold the responsibility to make sure that we're not doing harm. And if there's something that we put out there that has the potential to be used in a way in which we haven't intended it to be used, I think it's our responsibility to make sure that we pull back or clarify its intended use. So I love, I know what it's like to create and everybody loves it, but then to understand that sometimes what we do doesn't always, um, isn't always used for, for good. I love that idea has this AI ethics board that's really trying to say, hey, we create great stuff, but it could be used in very manipulative and dangerous ways. So we have the responsibility as a company to really stay on top of this. Yes. So I'm curious to know, um, how many people this summer have been reaching out to you um, who are diversity leaders trying to figure out what are you doing now? Um, what can they learn from IBM or just learn for you as a sort of a seasoned expert in talent and human capital and been at IBM, a company that's had a long history for so long? I- I'm curious to understand the content of the conversations that you've been having with other chief diversity and inclusion officers um, and what kind of advice have you been giving them as they're similarly trying to create greater racial equity and justice? Yeah, this is such a great question because um, it has been a really a busy time for DNI, uh, Chief uh, Diversity and Inclusion Officers, you know, all over the world. And I have probably have had, I would say, a good 20 to 25 calls with various CDIOs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been actually in many uh, group sessions with hundreds of us where mm-hmm. we have been co-creating together and sharing ideas. But from a one-on-one perspective, absolutely about 20 to 25. And we've really been learning from one another. And, and what I've been sharing is um, that one, it's important that our leaders are committed to this work mm-hmm. and that co-creation with your employees is going to be really important because that's who you're, in, you're serving. So it has to be, be a way in which you look from within and how are you going to make um, this real change? I think what I learned from other IBMers was transparency, accountability, and action is key. And that is just, it has stuck in my head every day. I think about it every day. How am I going to, you know, make something happen significant in my day where transparency, accountability, and action, and DNI is going to be key? So I'm thinking about that a lot. 
I'm also talking with them a lot about training and development and enablement and what does that look like and how are we doing it, how we are you know, using partners in academe in this moment who we feel are the experts to really build thoughtful uh, curriculum around DNI and around inclusive culture and behaviors to, to really teach in this moment. Right. And um, so we are sharing that experience and we have a really strong DNI portfolio, we thought, but this was a this was a big gap. And so we're doing that work with you uh, mm -hmm. and others to help us. And then the last thing is that we're not sure quite yet what what DNI is going to look like in the future. We know it will be different. So our strategies are going to have to be different. Um, with the pandemic, um, with the issues we're experiencing around race. These things mean that we have to ensure that the seat that we have at the table is heard, but that we also get the commitment and the investment mm -hmm. in this work so that it is long-term sustainable change. Mm -hmm. That's important. And we just have to give our voice and we have to use the brand of many of our organizations to really change society. Yes. So we, that work is not only organizational, it's personal. We all have to be allies in this work and show up. So yes. those are the things I think about when I think about my peers and, and what I think we should be doing in this moment. Yeah, I think about community. And, and as an academic, we certainly have you know, lots of communities. And I think even for us, as uh, many more of us have been teaching diversity, equity, inclusion um, courses at universities, there's been an open sharing of resources yes. Um, corporations don't always do this, though, right? Yes. <laughs> and so the fact that, and, and you know, I've been part, doing this work, this research on corporate diversity, equity, inclusion practices for nearly 15 years, and there's something quite special about the DE and I community. Yes. Where you have all of these people, even competitors, oh yes, table sharing what they're doing to solve these big problems. Because I think what you understand is that you need all of this expertise and insights in order to tackle that issue in your company. And it's not just yours alone to solve. It's really a community, um, large-scale effort that's required to create change. Absolutely. There is not one of, um, of, of our competitors who's a CDIO I, that will pick up the phone and call me. I would take their call immediately. And I know I could call them immediately and they mm -hmm. would take my call because you're right. It's a club. Mm -hmm. And we feel like our work isn't about the competition mm -hmm. uh, with one another. It is about the work to make real change that everyone benefits from. Mm -hmm. So it is one of those areas in which you're right. We, we do this work together and we do share um, what our best practices are because we all want to be successful at this. So any final thoughts as you think about the road ahead? Um, and what makes you excited about the path that you're on that you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah, you know, I think that this moment um, is something that can be, you know, generational, future generational change for everyone. I think it's important that we continue to have uncomfortable conversations to get mm -hmm. comfortable, right? And it, it, it may take a long time. So be, you know, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I think it's important. I think we have to keep talking. Mm -hmm. But I also believe that we have to do the personal work because mm -hmm. we all have some type of bias in some way, no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. So I really consider this not only personal work, 
you know, and organizational work. But I, but I really think this, this is a time for personal introspection and how you are going to show up. And who do you want to be in this moment? I keep telling people that it's important to decide who you want to be in this moment. And who you want to be is going to really tell us all on who you are, but also what we will look like. And so I think we're all grappling with this. And it's important in this moment that we all show up morally right. Look at this as a human issue and looking at what we want to be. Uh, as a great nation that is inclusive, mm-hmm. a great global society that is inclusive and accepting of all. And so those are the things that I think about and those are the things that I want for us. And I look forward to continuing this work. Absolutely. Carla Grant Pickens, so inspired and so inspirational. Appreciate your thought leadership in coming on the podcast today. Um, the work that you are doing, I hope that it will inspire others new to this, but also veterans to, to really dig in um, and really to get the work done, right? That's that's what it takes. And certainly company like IBM, having the backing of your CEO goes without saying, goes a long way. So hats off to the work that you all are doing at IBM. And we look forward to hearing more great things from you as we try to create greater racial equity and justice, not just in the U.S., but around the world. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. Have a good day. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.